1 Corinthians 11:17. In the following directives, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. Now, I want you to consider these words uttered by Paul, uh, because they're pretty harsh, right? I mean, Paul looks at this church, he's writing a letter to this church in Corinth, and he says, when you come together as a church, when you gather, sometimes it actually does more harm than good. Now remember that Paul is writing, like all biblical writers, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God. And so, this is God saying to a church, sometimes when you come together, it is it does more harm than good. I mean, think about if God called us up on the phone or however he would talk to us these days. And, and he, he said, hey, Creekside, sometimes when you gather in your Sunday, Sunday services, it actually does more harm than it does good. Wouldn't we be like a little bit hurt first off? And, and we'd be a little angry, I think. Come on, God, that can't be true. And then I think we would be just curious. I mean, how is it possible that a church service, a church gathering could do more harm than it does good? I mean, how how is that possible? I mean, sometimes on Sunday morning when you wake up and you think, ah, should I go to church today? You think, well, it's better than anything else I'll be doing, right? But But God is saying to these people, sometimes when they gathered, it was for the worse and not for the better. And so this this brings up a really logical question for us. Well, why? I mean, what were they doing that was causing more harm than good in their services? And, and here's what he says in verse 18. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you, and to some extent, I believe it. Paul looks at this, this church and he says, sometimes, or I hear that, there are divisions amongst you. Now, we've talked about this in the last several weeks, about how Paul likes this construction-type language when he's talking to the church in Corinth. And so what he's been saying, and hopefully what we've been hearing, is there, there are certain things that can build the church up into the building that God wants it to be. And we've learned that the type of building that God wants it to be is the temple, a temple that brings God's presence to a world that needs God's presence. And so Paul again here says... I hear that when you come together, sometimes there are divisions. And and we've talked about this word before, but this word that Paul uses for divisions actually means cracks. And so Paul is saying, look, I hear that when you come together, there are cracks in this building that is supposed to be the perfect temple where God's presence manifests himself most clearly to a world that needs God's presence. And then Paul says, and this is just a piece of rhetoric, he says, and to some extent I believe it. Paul isn't saying that, that he kind of believes it and kind of doesn't believes it, believe it. Kind of doesn't believes it. Uh, he, he, he is saying to this church, hey, it's unbelievable, to put it in our modern context, it's unbelievable that you as a church have cracks in your building, have divisions in your people. He's looking at this church and saying, you know who you are. You are a a temple of God. You are God's people. And it is unreal, it's unfathomable to me that you would let there be divisions amongst you. Now if you go on to verse 20, you read this. He, He explains it to them, these divisions. He says, So then when you come together, it is not the Lord's supper you eat. For when you are eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. As a result, one person remains hungry and another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? 
And so he looks at his people and he says, hey, when you come together to celebrate the Lord's Supper that we call communion, when you come together, you aren't actually doing it. Now, this is a crazy thing for these people to hear because they are making a big deal out of the Lord's Supper. They think they're doing it right. We read that in other places in the book of Corinthians. They think they have it down. I mean, we come together, we have these crazy parties to remember that Jesus died for our sins. But Paul looks at them and says, you aren't even celebrating the Lord's Supper. You aren't even remembering and proclaiming the death of Jesus. And the reason that you're not is because of these divisions. And what the divisions look like is this. Some people come early. Some people get fed. Some people don't. And it's a really bad situation. Now, in order to understand what Paul's saying here, you have to understand the city of Corinth and really the Roman culture at the time. And the Roman culture, they were big into the separation between the haves and the have-nots. They were a shame and honor culture, uh, to put it in technical terms. And so there were people without money, without social status, and they were treated very badly. And then there were the others who were rich and had money and were high in social rankings, and they were treated very well. One of the easiest ways for people to see this separation was when they came together to eat. The rich people would sit in a dining room that would seat about 12 people. And they would sit there with their nice furniture and their nice uh, plates and nice dishes and all of that. And they would be fed by the servants and the slaves. The servants and the slaves would feed the people until they were full enough and drunk enough. And then they would say, you can eat our leftovers. And they would go to a room, kitty corner, not nearly as nice probably. And they would eat their meals after the rich people had been served. They actually had one day a year when they wouldn't do this. And, and you can read some, some, some history there. And, and they would have one day where the slaves and the poor would be treated kindly. And so you can see in the descriptions about those days uh, in history how, how important it was for people to see the different side of things. And so the, the Roman culture, which Corinth is in the heart of, in the middle of, they really had this separation between the rich and the poor. And so when Paul says this to the church, what we can surmise is that what's taking place in the church is that the social norms are still being lived out even at communion. And so here's what's happening. They would they would have a, a communion meal planned. Hey, be at our house at whatever o'clock, right? And, and and the rich people's houses are where they were having these meetings. And so the rich people and their rich friends would get there. Meanwhile, the servants and the slaves and the poor people that were part of the church, they were still off working because they needed to be working to make more money in order to be able to eat. And so the rich people would be there and they'd be in their dining room and they'd be eating their good food and the food would almost be finished and the poor people would show up. The rich people would say, hey, there's still room for you in the servant slave area. Go sit over there and you can have whatever's left over. And some of those people weren't getting any food at all. And so Paul is looking at this church and he's saying there's divisions amongst you. You are not a unified group of people. And that is why you are not truly celebrating the Lord's Supper. It's really interesting because he is looking at them and he isn't saying something about these large schisms that might be between them. There is no grand theological difference. There is no fighting and quarreling at the center of this passage. There is in fact something that is totally socially normal and totally acceptable. The people that Paul is talking to wouldn't have even seen the big deal with this because it was so normal to them. But Paul is looking at them and saying, when you have these types of divisions, even if they are based on social norms, 
then you cannot truly honor God and you cannot celebrate His death and His resurrection the way that you have been told to. Paul says that when we, when, when people do this, this church in Corinth, that it comes from an attitude or even causes. Uh, the next thing he says, and it's this, in verse 22, continuing on, or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? He says when there are these types of divisions within a congregation, you are really doing something that despises God, that, that, the church of God that says, I do not care about the church of God. The word that he uses there is a word that means to think down upon or against. Now consider this. If there are divisions, even if they are based on social norms within a congregation, then it comes from an attitude and it seems to result in people looking down at the church. Treating God's church, the gift that He has given us to bring His presence into the world, treating it like it is unimportant and does not matter. The other thing that it does, humiliates, is a word that means to disgrace or dishonor or put to shame. So when there are these divisions, especially within our meetings, especially when we celebrate communion, then it really dishonors and disgraces the other people who are a part of our church. I just want you to think about this for a minute, because when I look around at the American church today, I see lots of divisions. I see lots of disconnects. And like this church in Corinth, at least in this passage of Scripture, it's not based on giant fights most of the time. We can point to specific situations where churches have split. But usually within churches, it's not, it's not big fights. It's not because people don't like each other. It's just a disconnect that is most often based on social norms. The biggest social norm that seems to separate people within local churches is the social norm of age. We say, well, the ages can't get together. And so we do things, quite literally, within the church to separate the different generations. We have youth groups, we have young adult groups, we ship kids down the hall in order that they can go do their church service. We even call it children's church, we don't, but lots of churches call it children's church and they send the kids down the hall. And so we buy into this social norm that the ages don't need to connect. And I think that according to Paul here, who is dealing with a money separation, that this cannot be if we are going to celebrate the Lord's Supper the way that God has intended, and if we are going to gather in a way that builds up the church. Now, in our congregation, and you know this, uh, the age thing has been a big deal, but I, I want to say that, that I feel a little more today like I'm preaching to the choir than, than, I, than I did uh, eight months ago, especially. And so I'm really proud of, I'm not saying this because we have a major problem, I'm really proud of how far we have come in breaking down the barriers and, and seeing unity come into our church, especially between the generations. So Paul is saying, look, even if it's socially acceptable and socially normal. If there are divisions in your congregation, then you can't worship together the way that God has called you to worship. And then Paul goes into the Lord's Supper and what it is. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so Paul just goes back and says, Here, Here's what I'm talking about. Here is communion. 
And we've discussed this before in our congregation, but it's worth reminding you almost every time we have communion. What we do in communion is we not only remember what Jesus did for us, that Jesus was willing to be beaten and willing to be mocked and willing to be whipped and willing to be crucified for the sins of the world. We remember that and we remember his body being broken in the bread and in the cup we remember his blood being poured out. But we not only remember it, but we also proclaim it when we come together and we celebrate it. We say, we say we believe that Jesus gave his life for us. And we proclaim it to a world that needs to hear it and know it so that they can accept that gift and give their lives to Jesus too. And so Paul reminds us of that. But but you might ask this question if you're paying good attention. You might say, it's kind of weird that he just reminded them all of a sudden what communion is. But here's the reason I think Paul did that. It's funny because sometimes when we when we study the scripture, we make it like this disconnected entity, even within certain books. But if you go back to chapter 10, which is like 50 verses earlier, I mean, there's there's just not a lot of room in between. Paul's already said something that I think he's alluding to when he comes back to the Lord's Supper. In 10, 16 and 17, Paul says this. Is not the cup of thanksgiving for what you give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? And is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one loaf, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of one loaf. You see what Paul is saying here? He's saying when you come together and you celebrate communion, you are remembering that you are all a part of Christ. And so therefore, it is impossible to have divisions and do it right. Because you were saying, quite literally, as you take the bread and you take the cup, we are one, unified by the blood and body of Christ. And we are one through Christ. And so I think what Paul has in mind when he just reminds us of what communion is, is that very thing. I mean, how can there be divisions? How can you ship some people down the hall and say, you eat over there, and other people you say, well, you get to stay in the nice room. When God died for all of us, and when we become Christians, we all come to the same Jesus. To have separation is to make Jesus nothing that he should be, because Jesus has made us one in him. And so the next verse, which is the most famous of this passage, except for maybe that communion part, 11.23, excuse me, not 11.23, 11.27, So then, whoever eats this bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. If you've ever heard this verse before, it's right before communion, and a pastor stands up and says, Hey, the Bible says not to... Do communion in an unworthy manner. And so you need to make sure that there is no unrepentant sin in your life. That there is nothing going on that you haven't confessed to Jesus. And if you're not a Christian, please don't take part in this. Now, uh, that's an interesting interpretation given the context that we've just seen. It seems to come out of nowhere. And the reason that we believe that in Protestant circles is because Catholics believe that. And we just took the theology and, and went with it. But when you read this in context, what is he saying? He is saying, don't take communion with a heart and an attitude and a life of disunity and disconnection. He is saying, in fact, if you take communion and you are not unified to the church, and you are not connected, and you are doing it with the heart that says, you're different than me, and so I'm not part of the same Jesus and the same church as you, then you are guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. You are no different than the people who nailed Jesus to the cross. 
That's pretty harsh language, right? But it's pretty important, I think, if Paul is going to say something so big and so clear. This isn't about unrepentant sin. You have never taken communion in your life without, with, with zero unrepentant sin. It's never happened. You've never listed every sin and said, Hey, Jesus, by the way, I did this and this and this and this, and then it was 9 a.m., and I did this and this. You've never done that. And so the point here is that we need to be unified when we take communion. Now, in communion, there's, there's really two sides of things. Some people say that only a local body of believers should be able to take communion together. And if somebody's visiting or something like that, then, then they shouldn't be able to take it. It's called closed communion. There's other people who say, go ahead, take it, eat it, whatever, no big deal, show up, have it, right? And, and, and I, I think, based on this passage of Scripture, this is new to me this week, that both of those are probably too extreme. I think what Paul is saying is that if you don't have an atti- attitude of unity and connection... And a heart that says, I want to be connected to the church of God and especially to the local church, then don't participate in this thing that we do. If you're visiting and you have a heart of unity and connection and you're going back to a local church and and you're going to be unified there and you're here and you think we're great and you want to be connected today, then sure, go ahead and take it. But if you don't want to be connected and you don't have that heart and you say, well, that person's too old for me to talk to them and that person's not rich enough for me to hang out with them and they're the wrong color of skin or whatever it might be, then then don't take communion because that is what it means to take it in an unworthy manner. And so Paul says, I mean, this is logical, right? In verse 28, he says, everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Make sure that you have a heart of unity and connection before you participate in it. And then he really strengthens it. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. Notice what he says next. That is why many among you are weak and sick and a number of you have fallen asleep. Died is what he means. But if we were more discerning with regard to ourselves, we would not come under such judgment. Nevertheless, when we are judged in this way by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be finally... condemned with the world. Paul says, look, God's punishing you because He doesn't want you to suffer eternity in hell. He says, this is such a big deal that God is going to punish you so that you are not condemned for eternity. He says, you really need to examine yourself because God is causing people to be sick and even to die so that the disunity will leave the church and connection between people will be made. That is a Big, big deal, right? I mean, there's not a lot of sins in the Bible that God says, hey, I'm going to cause people to get sick and even to die if they're not doing what they're supposed to be doing. But he's saying, look, if you take communion in an unworthy way, if you do it with the heart of disunity and, and you do it in a disconnected way, then I have to punish you because, because I want to discipline you and help you to start to do it right. The worship service... And the way in which we go about it, especially the communion cup and the communion bread, is such a big deal to God that He's willing to discipline us if we're doing it right. Because when we take communion, we are remembering the sacrifice that saved us from sins and we are proclaiming it to the world. And if we're not unified, then we cannot proclaim it in the way that it is meant to be proclaimed. And I think I can see this truth in the world today. We see Christianity, the percentage of Christians in our country decreasing like crazy. And is it any surprise 
Because when churches come together and they proclaim this Christian thing, a non-Christian looks and he says, well, you guys aren't connected. What's the point of all this? But I believe that if non-believers could look at us and see us so tight-knit and so connected, that they would, they would say, okay, maybe there is something to this Jesus thing that they are proclaiming. This is a big, big deal to God. And so he sums it up in verses 33 and 34. So then, my brothers and sisters, when you gather to eat, you should all eat together. I think that is so profound. That is beyond what we even think when we first read it, right? When you come together for communion or when you come together in a worship gathering, you should all do it together. Now, I I just will admit to you that I've been pretty bad in my life. It's It's a real struggle for me. Uh, because of who I am as a person, to to uh, do things corporately. And and for most of my life, especially in the church, I'm the guy who needs like five feet from the person next to me and, and because I just want to be there and I want to have my worship experience with God. And, and my greatest worship experiences are experiences that I've had alone in my life. That's just the truth. In my own marriage, it, I know how important it is to pray with my wife and I know what a big deal it is to have a spiritual aspect. But that's something I really have to force because for me it's just like let me go away in my closet it and let me say my prayers and you go do it too and 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 we're getting better at that but that's a struggle for me because it's just in my nature as an american as somebody who 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 who's pretty driven i just am like i can do this but 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 this verse when you come together do it together i mean when you come here and you sing songs i think paul would say this too do that together when you come and, and you listen to a sermon and you talk about the Bible, we're, hopefully we're, we're doing it together. I mean, when we, when we come and, and somebody stands up in front of us and prays, I, I hope that it's not like that guy's praying. I hope in our hearts and our minds we're praying together. And Paul is making so clear that, that this is a big deal. I mean, when we gather, we should gather together. He isn't saying that we need to be some type of commune that does everything together. He isn't saying that. He's saying, go home, have food in your own house. Do what you want to do in your free time. But when you come together, you better be doing things together. And then in verse 34, to end it, those who are hungry should eat something at home so that when you meet together, it may not result in judgment. Just one more time, in case you weren't paying attention, this is a big deal to God. It's a really big deal to God. And so today, maybe for the first time, we can take communion in, in a worthy manner together. And my hope is that as we do this and, and as, we, as we really make this part of the fabric of our church, showing up and, and doing things together and doing things for each other instead of saying, what can I get out of this? As we really work towards that end and, and strive to be a better church, my hope is that we will see more and more our church and our services resulting in good rather than harm. I really hope that, that we will be a church who does things in a way that honors God so that when we gather, it is for good and not harm, right? That's what we want. And I think that the biggest part of that maybe is us showing up and saying, what can I do to build this church up? Go home, build yourself up. Get away in your own room. Pray to God. Put on a nice CD. Sing to Jesus. Uh, read your Bible. That's important. Do all that stuff. Go home. But when you come here, do it together. 
and do it for the good of the other people. And so I'm going to say a prayer, and I'm going to ask the uh, ushers to pass the communion cup and bread. And here's the deal today. Really ask yourself, examine yourself in the words of Paul, whether or not you'll be taking this in a worthy manner, whether you will be taking it with a heart of unity and connection to this church and to the church. And if you answer no, fine, leave it right there. No reason to be embarrassed. That's no big deal to us as a congregation. In fact, I would appreciate that. But, but if you take it and we take it together, then, then let's remember that we are doing it together. and We are doing it as a local body of believers who are being built up into the temple of God so that the world can see the truth of Jesus and his gospel. Will you pray with me as the ushers come forward to grab it? Lord... I'm sorry for all the times that I've taken communion in an unworthy way, God. I I really have, you know, I've done it so many times, Lord, where I'm just disconnected and I don't really care to be connected and I'm not taking my church life seriously, but yet I show up and I take communion and no big deal. And Lord, I pray that that would no longer be the case for me and I pray that would no longer be the case for the people in our congregation, Lord, but that we would always take this together and we would always gather together, Lord, in unity and love and with the goal of building each other up. Lord, I pray that this morning your death would be remembered and your death would be proclaimed, God. And I pray, Lord, that every Sunday when we come together, the truth of you would be proclaimed, not just through the sermon and the songs and the prayers, but through the way that we interact with one another, Lord. We want to be a church, God, who sees more good than harm when we gather together. And I pray, God, that we would see so much good when we gather together. I pray you would just blow us away with how much you move in our midst, Father, as we strive to be more connected. Pray these things in your name. Amen.